Hi, welcome to What the Health, a different kind of podcast from the original prevention network at EHE Health. It's Joy Altamari. In each episode, I'm going to be your host, and I'm going to welcome leaders from diverse fields to explore why women have such frustrating experiences with healthcare. And what can we really do to make real change? It's the only podcast that explores the full scope of these issues, and I hope in depth and from all angles, amplifying the voices of women whose interactions with the system has led them to exclaim, what the hell? So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hi, welcome to What the Health with Joy Altamari. I have my very first inaugural guest on the podcast, Yana. Why don't you introduce yourself for the group? Tell them who you are, where you work, what you do before we get into today's topic. Okay. Thank you for having me, by the way. I'm honored to be your first guest. It was the first name I thought of. (laughs) I'm Yana Collins-Lehman. I am the president and COO of Trevana Post. We are a company with offices in Los Angeles, New York, and the UK who specialize in film and television post-production accounting. It is managerial accounting, project accounting. We're hired by film studios to oversee their finances during the post-production process. Which is the most important. It's the longest. Yeah. I mean, it's debatable. Who thinks it's the most important? I definitely think it's the most important. <laughs> but we hire people train them up and we have people who have been there. I've been there 18 years, yeah. 17, 16, 15, 10 two long months. timers <laughs> two and then some newbies. So that's what we do. And I'm also the chair of an organization called the Post New York Alliance, which is an organization made up of film and television, post-production facilities and professionals. And through that organization, we do a lot of outreach into different communities to recruit talent. I know we're going to get to that a little bit. Yeah, we're totally, but we can, I mean, we just, we can jump right in. I first wanted to ask you, first of all, let me set up the fact that this is going to air during the last day of Women's History Month. We just celebrated yesterday, RGB's birthday. If she were like alive, God bless her, rest in peace. We would have celebrated that I'm sure big and and proudly. And then today is equal pay day. So it's all things women. I actually said earlier on a call full of men, so great to be a woman in business. This is the best time in history to be a woman in business. And so you're right, we're going to get into talent, recruitment, retention. And I think you and I were talking earlier that there is kind of this one side narrative. What are employers doing? Because we're specifically going to talk about how do you recruit and retain women in the workforce? And, and to be fair, we're talking a little bit more like executive, corporate workforce. There are so many other different levels to the workforce that we're probably not going to head on, like hospitality, domestic, et cetera. But when we're talking about this month, then we're talking about equal pay that's universal. But this month in this podcast today, we're going to really focus on the fact that there's this great resignation. 6.5 million women left the workforce during COVID, even either voluntarily or involuntarily. Why did that happen? Why do we think that happened? And because the audience of this podcast are mostly employers, they're getting beat up and saying, you're not making it inviting for me to come in. I don't feel like you're thinking about the flexibility I need. And so what does that mean? And as president and COO, you probably have a lot of thoughts on that. And I think we want to just have an open dialogue. It's kind of like a no holds barred conversation, addressing the facts, but then also what's the reality? Like what is actually happening as a leader, a president and CEO of a company? What are you interfacing? So the first thing I'll start off with is 
let's just talk about pay equality because let's get that out the way first. How important is it when you're recruiting women in the workforce that you have an understanding of, is this an equal opportunity from a pay perspective? Am I paying them appropriately? How do you go about that? I mostly hire women. Good. Men are in the minority in my company, but I do think the fact that there's a lot of transparency out there now. Yeah. Everybody knows what everybody makes. Especially in New York, new world Straight coming. up. So you just have to be honest about it. There's kind of no more hidden manila files. There's no more hidden manila files anywhere because everything's digital. <laughs> digital. It's in the cloud. Which is the good news, yeah. right? I mean, there is a massive overcorrection to the way things have been run for a really long time. And I think that that's a great thing. So I do have some questions about, am I paying people enough? Where do I get that calculation? That isn't universal. Yeah. So we have to, as leaders, go do that research, make sure that it's fair within the microcosm of our company, and then broadly. Yeah. They will find out. Yeah. So just do it right the first time. They'll find out either from each other. Yeah. Or they'll ask their friends. You and I were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, how people will ask their friends like, hey, you're entry level at your place or you're mid-level at your place. What do you make? And then they'll be appalled. You know, I grew up in advertising. so. They would be appalled that their friend who works in finance makes $80,000 more than them. And it's like, it's not apples to apples. That's absolutely right. It's the whole education out there. It's not apples to apples. Number one, different industries. Number two, they could be better than you. (laughs) So it's entry level, but maybe they interned there before. I mean, we can get into that later, but there's so many elements to this point. Like, I think you're right on. You have to audit. You have to understand. You have to be transparent because they will find out. And you have to have the conversation right away. Yeah. This is how I came up with this. Yeah. And I encourage you to ask for more if you think it's time to ask for more. But this is how I got here. And I certainly did need to correct because I was paying people what I started as. Yeah. Guess what? That was 18 years ago. (laughs) So those kind of things need to change. And there is a certain kind of, I don't know if politics is the right word, but you know, you started out, then you got promoted, you hire, and you expect people to be successful by starting where you started and following the same path that you followed. And all that has to be broken up. And I realized it at some point last year, I think it was like May when I went to the grocery store and I was like, wait, this costs what? Like the whole order. I was like, I'm sorry, what happened? I just got the one bag. What's going on? Yeah. That's when inflation hit me. And I was like, okay, well, if it's hitting me, it's hitting everyone. So I'm not going to wait until the end of the year to give people bonuses. How's anyone supposed to go on a summer vacation? They obviously must not have no money if they've gone to the grocery store recently. So we instituted mid-year bonuses and now I'm fixing even that. So I think in terms of leadership, like you don't expect to be perfect, but you're either going to come at something honestly, your motives being, we want people to do well. And be honest about how you're coming up with the calculation. I think what you're speaking to is something that I love, which is this concept of the anti-CEO, which is like this, this Chobani CEO has said this a lot. There's another guy who owns a company. His name is escaping me, but we'll figure it out later. They both say, if you really are a value mission-based company, then humanity comes first. That's what you're saying as a leader. So as a leader, you can't just be like, oh, well, I was paid that, or this was my path up. You have to take stock in how things are happening. You have to be honest and transparent about why you've made a decision and then be open to be challenged by it. Exactly. Right? To be like, oh, okay, I didn't think of that. And actually be open to be challenged by it. That is the facts. I think we've, we've pedestalized this whole notion of an institution without understanding. It's just people. Every single thing in here started depreciating the second you opened it. There's nothing of value in here. 
only the humans. That's it. And so if that isn't what you're putting all of your effort into, then you're going to lose. You're going to lose. You're going to lose. You're going to lose the people and then you lose the company. This great resignation, everyone has been talking about it. We get, you know, EG Health, we deal directly with employers. They're now, I think, thinking about their people strategies, what we've, that's what has been termed, to mitigate the great resignation. Are you afraid of the great resignation? I have been, as you know, we've been friends for a few years now. Um, I've been terrified by everything. I've been terrified by the pandemic, terrified by like thinking, you know, our whole industry is going to go kaput. Nothing will go into production. Therefore, nothing will go into post-production. And yeah, I've definitely been, I'm terrified to have 50 exit interviews. Right. And there was a point in December, I was in my LA office and I was think I was reading about this and I was like, God, CEOs are just having exit interviews and then taking that data and making changes. What can I do? I don't want that data. I want that data now. And so I set about having a series of stay interviews. I love that. Where I sat with all 50 people and asked them three questions. What do you think we did well when we had to pivot into the pandemic? What do you think worked that we should keep as part of our going forward plan in a non-pandemic universe? Should we ever get there? And do you have everything you need to stay? That's great. And we had some amazing conversations where I finally got some hard feedback. I was shown some mistakes that I made and I made them when you saw me come into our meetings and I was vibrating with fear. I was so afraid that I was going to, we were going to lose everything. Yep. And in that fear, I made some mistakes. Some of the people who work for me had some ideas about the way we could do things that were different. And I was clinging to the way I had always done things because that felt like what I had to hold on to to get us through this horrible, horrible storm. And I was able to see like, you guys were right. I'm going to do a look back. I'm going to true that up. I'm going to make it right. I'm going to come to correct for you because you gave me that feedback. And then fascinatingly, no one asked for more money. And I had to tell everyone, men, and women, now is the time where you ask for more money. (laughs) And you're not going to sit with the president and COO again for a long time. Now is the time you ask for more money. And they were really sheepish and really afraid. And so what I mean by being honest and transparent, there's a lot of like, here's our mission statement and this is what we're about and this is what we do and let's all say it together. And it's just not real. It's just a money-saving thing. Agreed. But I, you know, did pay them more. And I also coached them. You always have to ask for more money. Don't be afraid to ask for more money. Yep. So. I mean, I think what you said, there's two things that I loved about what you said there, that that your motivation during COVID was fear-based, which you and I talk a lot about this. I think fear, I'm trying to train my daughter or teach my daughter that fear is a construct that's created to keep you in bondage, down, et cetera. You can be cautious. You can have an emotion of, oh, I was scared. But fear leads you to nothing. It leads you to be overly cautious, overly like, you know, trepidatious. Is that the word? Fear is a construct that was created to keep people in a certain place. So I think you're right. Like you were operating out of fear, which led to some good decisions, but some bad decisions. And that feedback that you were open to receive helped you course correct moving forward, right? But then I think you're right. Like there's always teachable moments for the team. Hey, you're not going to get often you're not going to get a seat at the table with the president and CEO. This may not come around for another 24 months, dude. So ask now. Again, don't be afraid to ask. Ask now for the things that you think we need. Let me ask you this. When you were sitting there and you were getting some of that tough feedback, 
how do you process that? I was truly grateful. I mean, we say it's like lonely at the top. I don't get a lot of feedback. So I was actually grateful that someone was invested enough sitting in that chair. They had enough feeling. They cared enough to even come up with feedback. To me, that means they're invested, that they're, they're a keeper. Like if they care enough to actually be honest about the way I handled something. They're invested. Then they're invested. Yeah. And they were right. <laughs> I mean, good. truly they were right. And it kind of changed the way I did business in that area going forward. So I think it's not just you got a raise. Good for you. Now this is over. I made real policy changes at the company based on that feedback, which people also want to be part of. They want to be part of the fabric of the company and they should be because they are the fabric of the company. So if you're just having these like superficial state interviews where you're patting everybody on the head, (laughs) thank you so much. Where you're speaking at them. Right. Really. But when you bring them into strategy, Here's my, and what I said to them was like, the reason we're having these stay interviews is because I'm trying to envision the future of our company. I don't know what to tell new people when I hire them. Do we work from home now? Do we partially work from home? How's the flexibility? How's the autonomy? Do we have everything that everybody's looking for? Like, who are we? And I was having such a hard time. And I realized, why am I doing this alone? There are people here who have have skin in the game, who really care, who care about the, the type of talent that I bring in. It matters to them. So because they have to work with them, right? Exactly. Yeah. They're going to be their future assistant. They're going to be responsible for training them and bringing them up, which brings me, I don't know if it's too soon, but to talk about why I agree with the overcorrection. I agree that it's time to have like some feminist servant leadership in the world, a hundred percent. But I do feel like the messaging is for people at our level who are like, demand, make your demands, make sure you're getting everything you want out of the work situation. And that's cool. But what about the people who are just coming into the workforce? We are responsible for training them. So yes, we have to tell them like, make your demands, ask for your money. However, be practical. there's work involved. Contextualize it. If your whole, if the whole idea is, it sounds to me like I should be trying to work as little as possible because that means I have work-life balance. I just don't think that that's great. Like you're not going to come in as a mid-level assistant demanding to work from home every day of the week because you want to travel and do your travel blog. Listen, I want to do that too. (laughs) (laughs) I want to travel and do a travel blog while doing my chief revenue officer job as well. But that doesn't work, right? And you need to be trained on this job so that you can grow into this job. Right. And there's a way to have it all. There really is a way to have it all, but it is comprehensive. So I'm going to tell you everything I'm doing for you. Now you tell me, how are you going to do the travel blog? How You tell me how you're going to do the travel blog. You tell me how you're going to make it work for the whole company. And I just am concerned that there is, it's just not an integrated or a nuanced conversation. And I really worry about people coming into the workforce because the, the conversations are, they're practical, but they're also complicated, you know? It's irresponsible, I would say. It's irresponsible. It's the media swirl is what I call it. It happened a lot during COVID. It's irresponsible to put a headline up, i.e. flexible hours should be asked for. Or it's irresponsible to put that up without context, without the nuanced story, right? So the headline is, every person should ask for what they want. And we are, listen, as women, we are, I love that most of the people you hire are women. Everything you did, I'm going to call it the the stay interview, the stay interviews, not the ex interviews. That's amazing because you did it with women and you understood and we contextualized it. But the headlines that most, I think, people are being told is go ask for for the sun and the moon and offer nothing, right? 
they're going out there saying, I want this check, this pay, but I have zero experience or I have one year experience, but they're asking for a person, they're asking for a salary that is reflective of someone with 10 years experience. It's like, that's irresponsible that the headlines are saying that. This is the truth. Yana's about to give you the truth. And it also feels, frankly, irresponsible that the idea of the workplace as a toxic water cooler full of microaggressions where people are forced to have conversations that they won't, don't want to have. Okay, that is an issue, but it's separate. Those are very serious concerns and there's a place to have the conversation. But as we said, the institution is people. People with a ton of experience, people with no experience. To integrate that institution, i.e. all the humans, the people with all the experience have to have exposure to the people with no experience. How are the people with no experience supposed to figure out where they're headed without that? So how do I tell someone who's been at my company 16 years, who's an introvert, who has really thrived working from home, that I need you to come in sometimes. I I need you to come in sometimes. People need to hear you. People need to see you. People need to know, like, this is why I want to stay working here because I want to be her. I want to be, I want to have that job. They're never going to know what your job is or how important you are or how powerful you are when you're just kicking ass from your living room. Yeah. And so I'm finding myself truthfully and honestly as an employer really in this moment of painful ambivalence where I'm terrified of losing people. I'm terrified of undermining people. I don't want people to feel controlled. I don't want people to feel manipulated. But honestly, we got to come to the table all together and recognize in order for this to be a place where we want to be and work, we have to scale. You've told me you need help. You've told me you're too busy. Okay, I found the talent. You have to participate. Agreed. In nurturing this talent. This is not going to happen without you. I just am waiting for people. I don't want to say mandated, you have to work three days a week and then work from home two days a week. But I think it's coming to that. I think you have the foundation to actually get there with the company saying this is what it should be. I think you've already laid the groundwork in December of saying, I want to have these stay interviews. What do you need? What did we do? What what should we continue? What should be in our moving forward DNA? Okay, so if you agree that collaboration, in-person meetings, in-person collaboration is important, and everyone's saying that, and these are your values, I think you're at the right moment to say, okay, we're going to regroup again as a 50-person group, and let's write what our policies are. Because I think what you said earlier is so true. The policy has to change. Right. It's not about people. It's not about that person who's been here for 16 years who doesn't want to come in. It's about the policy so ambivalent that they can live in that gray area. So now we're going to have a policy that we've all co-written and we're all aligned to. And the policy is like, you got to come in five days a month, six days a month. I'm not going to pick them for you. Work with your team to figure out what makes sense, but work with your team so you're all in here together. Or these new people who I'm bringing in, just show me the three hours a week you spent with them. Yeah. Let me know how it went. If I just know that they're getting interaction with everybody, I'll feel satisfied. But you have to, I think you have to state it. I think you're in the perfect place because you already started this conversation in December. And now it's like, okay, we're closing the loop on it. Now that we understand the lay of the land and what's important to everyone, we need to get some documentation of it so that we all kind of, we don't, we're not finding our way around in the dark. We're like, this is what it is. The expectation is this. So how does that look? I'm going to leave it to you to decide. I'm not a micromanager, but an example of it to your point is just show me how you worked with this new person three hours a week. Like, just show me, just tell me what you did, but I'm going to leave it to you because I trust you. And because you said you're bought into the vision of the company, I'm going to leave it to you to show me how how you're going to do that. On the same token, entry level person, I'm going to ask you to lean in too. Right. 
So our mindsets as the leaders of the company, I feel like they've switched from I have to control everything to I'm now at the mercy of knowing anybody can get a job anywhere. Okay, great. But I can't operate like I have a shiv at my neck all the time. I have to be ready (laughs) to lose everybody, you know? Like, and that's, and that's just terrifying. I mean, it's I just terrifying. showed you, we, you know, we have a couple of people that have resigned and it's horrible when they do it. We're kind of off topic, but I don't care. It's so much more important. <laughs> it's horrible when they do it because we did just live through 18 months, two years of insanity. And so you got intimate with people you work with. You were in their homes via Zoom. Yeah. You were, you know, concerned of, you know, we work in healthcare. So sometimes people on my team, their family got sick. And so we were making calls or providing them with things. So we got really intimately involved. And some of our colleagues, we could see the mental and behavioral health stressors increase during COVID. So we got really involved. And now they're coming out springtime and people are finding different opportunities because they've done that personal assessment of what's important to them. I can't be afraid of it. So like, you know, I had a couple recent people resign. They were like, you're so happy. I'm like, I'm happy for you because this is a good thing for you. To your point, we will find talent to come in. There's lots of talent, but I'm not going to be here with a shift. This is not Sopranos. I'm not going to like be fearful of who's walking. I won't just sit with my back to the wall. I'm going to live and train and work. And if people need to find something else better for them, then I'm going to be good with that. And I have also realized that hiring people sometimes pretty freshly out of college, something that has served me very well is to say to them, I know this is your first job and it won't be your last job and I will help you get your next job. Yeah. And I have. That's what I say all the time. Yeah. It's painful, but it's also organic. Like I think that that also buys the loyalty that you expect with the shiv to your neck (laughs) where you helped people through 18 months and you kept them at their full salaries and you, guess what? There's no thank you for that. You get no edible arrangement. That is what was expected. It's kind of a scary type of leadership, I think, where we are a little bit angry, like we're looking for this absolute soprano style loyalty. We totally feel like Tony. We feel like Tony. We want them to stay. We believe that they should stay. We would stay. We would stay. But this is all talk. It's generational. It's generational. Generationally, we were taught your boss is good to you. You stay. And you and I have had several conversations about this. And I think this is important, even as we're talking about women and women's month. You know, the loyalty is to yourself. That's unfortunate. Like that, but that's the truth. Because as an employer, if someone unfortunately got hit by a bus, we would immediately hire the replacement. We send flowers to the funeral and their family, but we would hire their replacement and keep moving. So it's unrealistic as employers to feel like oh, they need to be loyal to us because we kept them for two for two years and we subsist. They they're appreciative, but the loyalty is to themselves. Absolutely. But to kind of get on topic. If we wanted to keep them, like realistically, what she, for our level, right? We're talking now like you're, there is a demand on talent. There's great women out there. I mean, you can trip over them. So this whole conversation, we don't know where they are. They're everywhere. I mean, we're what, 60% of the population. They're everywhere. What attracts you? Like when you're recruiting someone that you really want and, and they happen to be a woman, What are you putting on the table to get them in to consider you guys over anybody else? I think you have to create the company that you would want to work for. And I think it's the strategy and the vision of the company and the kind of business that you're doing and who you're doing business with. I really do think ultimately that is the most important thing. And I've been doing a lot of blocking and tackling lately on behalf of the people who I work with. 
That has to do with the fact that the film and television industry has gotten real, real messy. And I wonder if it's all industries, but because of the shortage of talent, what's happening is people are giving people a shot. Oh, you are an assistant? Let me go ahead and make you a key because they just don't have the talent. And then they have these completely people who are just untrained. Listen, I'm all for blameless problem solving here. There's a lot of things not going well. So I have had to do a lot of just refusing to take on certain things because the talent that I've hired and trained and recruited and retained is expecting a certain type of work, not this massive flaming dumpster fire that is like rolling into the office. So that's also what we have to do as leaders. When I'm attracting you, I I told you like, this is how we roll. This is the kind of people we work with. We've been a company for 26 years. We have a great reputation. People appreciate us. We don't consider ourselves accountants. We consider ourselves filmmakers. Well, if something rolls in and that's not how we're being treated. They're going to look at you and be like, why did you let this come in? That's right. Yeah. So I agree with that. You got to get We talk about it in this other, we we talk about it. It's called VUCA, volatile, uncertain, confusing. I think the C is wrong and ambiguous. (laughs) But it's, you get the point. Like, it's a military term. We stole it. And my goal, I'm the chief anti-VUCA operator. I am trying to reduce VUCA at all time to your, times, to your point. I'm here to make sure that the teams can excel. And they excel when they're not always blocking tackling because of VUCA. Now, we've lived, arguably, through VUCA the last 18 to two years. 18 months to two years. It's been VUCA. No one can predict it. We don't know what's happening. But my job as a leader is to demonstrate stability through VUCA. We know we're in it. So let's be transparent. It's in the, it's insane, i.e. shit show. We don't know what's going on. We don't know what's going to, we're going to wake up to tomorrow, but I have a plan. I have, a, that's what you're saying. Like I have a plan. I have a vision. I will not accept things that are going to be a dumpster truck for us. You, you know? have though, you personally, Joy, have been one of the most stable people throughout the last <laughs> two years. And I don't know if you're faking it or what's going on, but it is always so reassuring to sit with you as I like show up trembling, like, oh God, what's going to happen? <laughs> I would just always turn to you because you have a quickness about like assessing, accepting, sighing, and then moving on with it. I know? appreciate that. I and think it it's is, being, an, I think part I don't of think it is, everybody can be like that though. I agree with that. I do acknowledge that. I First of all, I accept it. I thank you because I think that's part of being a woman too. We should accept the, a compliment. I do agree with that. I think part of it is being a result of immigrant parents. I think part of it is, I will say during COVID, I did have like a superpower and his name was David Levy in the sense that he's our CEO. He's an epidemiologist. I do recognize, I didn't during the time, but now having spoken to a lot of my friends, like you who'd be like, you gave me advice during, I do recognize that I was less fearful during COVID because I had a daily like touch point to be like, what does this mean? I didn't listen to the news at all during COVID. I think that helped me. I didn't listen to like, it's rising. I would look at it to see the numbers, but like when Fauci, who I love, was like giving his addresses, I never listened to them. I would just be like, David, what's what's <laughs> what's going on? And I do think that helped me be calm. But my core nature is to your point to like assess it, sigh, let's move on. Because women are busy. And I'm, you know, we're busy. We're raising families. We're raising husbands. We're raising partners. We are, you know, now raising our parents as well as they age. We're busy. You know, we don't, I'm always like, if you want to get something done, hire a working mother. Because they don't, we don't have time to lean back in the chair, so to speak, and just philosophize about things and then have these people over here do it. We're, 
strategizing, and then we're, to to use your words, blocking and tackling. So we're doing it. And then we're reporting on the findings so that we can improve it. We're doing the whole thing. And this is not to degrade men. Men are great too. But more and more women are doing the job and we're excelling at it. And to kind of close us out, we're excelling at it. At our level, we want to be recognized for the contribution and we want to be paid accordingly. And if we want to start our travel blog, we want to be able to do that too. What I try to tell people coming up who work for me, who I train, who I reach out to and invite to become part of the film industry is that ask for what you want. Don't show up as someone else. Yes. Because you can work anywhere. Let's just assume you can work anywhere. So ask the questions that you have. Show up as who you are because show up in the interview who you're going to be on Monday. Agree. Please. It just does not serve you to be (laughs) someone else. And I try to just create that open door and that transparency, not in a fake way, but in an actual real way. way. I invite feedback. And I think that is the world we live in now. And I do think it's a world that is going to be for women. And because you're going to make more money, because businesses are going to make more money, they're just going to start filling the C-suite full of women. I hope so. I hope from your mouth (laughs) to God's ears. And and women's history will be six months out of the year. Well, it will be 12 months because we won't won't have to designate it. We should get at least half the year. Yeah. I love it because I have February Black History Month and then I have Women's History Month. So I get a good Q1 and every year. That's my whole thing. But I want to thank you, Yana. It's always great talking to you. And it's even better in this forum for being on the first What the Health podcast. I love the title. What the Health. And it's specifically today, this is about what women want making the workplace work for everyone. And to your last point, it's when you hire more women and you have them in these roles, companies do well. There's more money to go around. It's a positive thing for everyone. So thank you again, Yana. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Hi, it's Joy Altamari here, host of What the Health. Thank you for listening this week. We hope you enjoyed it. We hope you like what you heard and you subscribe, spread the word and give us a good rating on Apple, Spotify or whatever you're listening to. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel for video of every episode plus lots of other useful content. For more information about what EHG Health and Preventive Health are all about, visit us at eheg.health. Until next time, what the health?